Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to John's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at a variety of different verses, but John chapter 12 is one of the focal points of our Bible study in a Bible study that I've entitled, A Reminder of Who We Are as a Church. A Reminder of Who We Are as a Church. Now, God is doing amazing things on the earth today, and what a time to be alive. What a time to be serving Him and knowing Him. Now, of course, your personality is going to affect the way you see the world. Now, if you're a pessimist, then all of the difficulties, all of the darkness, all of the hardship, all of the trials are going to be interpreted in a way that just seems to bum you out and make things harder for you. It's going to make things harder for you to see the work of God, to anticipate the work of God. It's going to, pessimism has a sense, a way of smothering faith. And all you just kind of be upset and oh, this happened here and this happened there and that happened there. And if you're a pessimist, may I just suggest to you, stop watching the news for a while and pray that the Lord would give you fresh vision. Of course, now if you're an optimist, if you're an optimist, you see potential. You see in the difficulty, the silver lining. You anticipate, what does God want to do? Because you know that the darker things get, even the most smallest amount of light shines brightly in a dark and difficult world. But God nonetheless is doing great things and he continues to do great things. The only question is, are you a part of them? Do you wanna be a part of them? Do you wanna be engaged with the work of God on the earth today? It's not anything we can create ourselves. It's not anything we can make ourselves. But if we look and we follow and, and we're sensitive to what God's doing on the earth today, then all we need to do is follow along and show up where he is already and what he wants to accomplish. And it's very clear. We have to come to God like Saul did on the road to Damascus when he was knocked off his animal on his way to destroy Christianity. God got a hold of his heart. And what did he say? It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? I find that the exact opposite seems to be so popular in the church today. The church, the church at large, the church culture, perhaps even in your life. The opposite is true. You you wake up in the morning and you say, God, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to be. This is the way I want my life. This is the way I want this situation. This is the way I want it to be dealt with. And and it's almost as if we have this sense of self-righteousness before God. And instead of waking up every morning saying, God, what do you want me to do? It's flipped around. And there you are, frustrated and upset that things aren't going the way that you want them to go. One thing we must do is stay close to Jesus, abiding in him. There's no other way to live. He alone is our pastor and our leader and our shepherd. He is the head of the church. He is the one that we look to. It's just too easy to get off course with a little diversion here, a little distraction there. I mean, little diversions and little distractions, really, they're huge. The world in which we live today is just one big distraction. And and it has believers chasing off, true, real believers, chasing off off the things that are not going to follow you into eternity, that make no eternal difference, and then once you spend your whole life getting it, once you get it, you find out, this is what I wasted my life on? 
that it really hasn't promised anything. You're chasing after the buck today, and you're going to get as much money as you can. So get money, money, money. But then finally, when you get money, you find out, man, that's no satisfaction in that. Or the things that the world values, like, you know, celebrity. Oh, I want to be a celebrity. I want to be popular. And then they interview the celebrities, and they say, you know what? I didn't know being a celebrity was so hard. No, I, no privacy. Everybody hounding me. Everybody wanting something from me. And it's starting, you know, with these kids. If you read very carefully the news, you'll see these kids, you know, start out on Nickelodeon or Disney Channel. These kids, their whole life is being ripped away from them. For what? A few moments of stardom? Maybe it's the big house you've always wanted, the big house, the big one. It's bigger than the one you have right now. We always want something more than we have. You want to move from here, you want the big house. You finally get the big house and you find out for what? For what? What's the big deal? It doesn't, you're not going to take it to heaven with you. And you work and you work and you strive and you toil and all the things in that path, the things that the world values, the things that might have been caught up, you find out when you get them, they really don't satisfy. And then you look back, for example, you look back and I ask you the question, what are you going to do in 2017? What do you want to accomplish? And of course, all of you are going, hey, hey, dude, 2017's over. I know. Can't do anything in 2017. But you have 18 ahead of you. You have a clean slate ahead of you. Hey, if the Lord gives you money, use it for the glory of God. Gives you a big house, make sure it's dedicated to the Lord. Puts you in a position of great authority and celebrity, fantastic. Use it for the glory of God, but don't let it control you and destroy you. And before you know it, we're all gonna come to the end of our life. And only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus Christ is gonna last. There's no other way around that. And I love what God does because in following him, in following him, he's looking for one thing from you and me, one thing, faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm so grateful that that's what God, it says it's required in a servant that he be found faithful. And because God is looking for faithfulness, all of us can hit that goal, faithfulness. All of us. That faithful abiding presence where God now lives his life in us. I mean, think about it. If following God required us to be rich, if it required us to be smart, if it required us to have many possessions, if all the requirements of God were put upon us and we needed this and we had to be smart, we have to have this education and this degree and we have to live in this place and have this upbringing, man, none of us can make it. None of us are smart enough and none of us are rich enough and none of us have a pedigree. None of us have a big enough house. None of us can meet those kind of goals. So what does God do? He says, you just come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you the rest that you've been looking for. Literally God working out his life in you and through you. God, he's not a burden giver. He's a burden bearer. And he invites us to be a part of what he's doing on the earth today. I'm telling you, church, he doesn't just want you to be religious. Treating this building like in a religious experience where you're coming in and out, in and out, and, and you come in and you maybe might sing a song or you might pay attention a few minutes when a, when a teacher's teaching and you might come through and the whole purpose you're coming through, coming here is just so you can feel good and you can have a, your conscience, you know, for one more day you can feel good and then you go out and you live like the world and you act like the world and you sound like the world and then you come back to church. Like that's such an empty religious life. That is not what God has for you in this church, in that church, in any church family. 
God promises to you life, and that more abundantly, an abiding life, a life that overwhelms our meager existence and our desire. You know, the greatest thing you can think of, God is ready to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could think or ask. That's the work he wants to do in you and through you. And he invites you to abide. He doesn't just want us to be religious. There's enough religion in this world today that makes no difference in this world. Remember, there was a time in the book of Acts when the early church was coming to town and the leaders of, the early church, the leaders of that town said, oh no, the people that turned the world upside down are coming to our town, town, coming to our city now too. And what I have found in so many lives, what I have found is that the world is turning the church upside down. And it's very hard at times to tell the difference between those that follow Jesus Christ and those that hate God because of the lifestyles that have been chosen. It's just too easy to get off course. Little diversions, big diversions. You know, different studies are being done on this, but the latest one that I heard, the latest study was, is that the average person with a smartphone, the average person with a smartphone spends six hours a day with the smartphone in their face. Four of those hours are spent on one website. You want to guess which one? Facebook. Facebook. And as one, as one pastor said, and I do agree with him, is that at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram will be proof that of all the excuses you have had in life, you had enough time. I had enough time. God wants to continue his work on the earth today. And he will continue it with or without us as a church family. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need Calvary Aurora to accomplish his his work, but he wants us. He invites us. He wants us to be a part of all that he's doing. He's chosen to use us because obviously God, being all-powerful, all-knowing, he could accomplish his work without us perfectly, without any problems. We know, according to the book of Revelation, at the end days, he's going to use an angel. And angels do exactly what they're told, unlike us as humans. And he could choose to use angels if he wanted to. But that's not his choice. He's chosen for us to participate in what he's doing. He's chosen to, this is the pattern he has from the very beginning, to use man to reach man. To use man to reach man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He enlivens and takes his word and explodes it in a person's life. And the messengers, the messengers are people. People reach people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the method that God has chosen. But as we're distracted and we go off, I'm telling you, man, we can just lose the whole purpose of why we're here. Why you're even a part of a church and why you're here today. So, much, so many of you think you're here because you want to be here, but you're here because God wants you to be here. He chose this church for you. It's not under your, under your control, my control. I mean, I certainly can. We can go around and start choosing churches, and, and we can value things that God really isn't value. You know, we could choose this church because, well, they've got this. It's great this, and you can fill in the blank, and it's great that, and I can make a lot of friends there, and I can, what? When did church come, become something that you define? When did it happen in your life? I remember the first time somebody came to me back in the early days of the church, and they literally showed me their checklist. And I'd never seen that before. 
He says, well, you know, Ed, we're visiting churches and we're shopping for churches. Never heard of that either. See, for me, I got saved at the church God called me to and I didn't leave until God told me to leave. I just stayed. I didn't know you go shopping around and you look, well, you know, I like to get milk at Safeway and I get cheese at Costco and then, you know, I get the word at this church and I get singing over it. What? What happened to us? Again, understand, for some of you, this will relate, some of you won't, but it gives you the heart of the church here. Recognize that many people around the country will hear this Bible study, people listening in right now that aren't a part of our church, but perhaps it does apply to you where you're here because God wants you here. And so the brother, you know, the guy came up and his brother, he says, you know, Ed, and he showed me, I had check marks on some and then some I didn't have check marks on. And I literally told him, are you keeping here with a checklist? Like, I'm telling you, whatever you put on your checklist, it ain't gonna happen. You're never gonna find the church you're looking for. You're looking for that church. Oh, I want, to, I want the church that has this and has this and has this and I just want the perfect church. Well, it was probably, it could have been perfect before you showed up. And then there it is. You're like, man, you bring your own imperfections into this. Look, we need to be learned to tune our ears to hear the Lord and follow him without hesitation. That's the only thing, the only way you and I are going to live life in such a way where we are going to make it through this world is we follow him, follow him with all the choices he allows us to choose to follow him. And so God bless you if you have a checklist, but you got it backwards. You got it backwards. And bless you, you know, I feel bad for you that you're in between churches. That's a hard place to be, to just kind of feel like an orphan and feel like you don't have a church family to be a part of. So in that respect, I'm very, I'm sad. I'm hurting for you. You shouldn't be like that. You should find a church and plant yourself down there and don't leave. Serve the Lord until he calls you out. It's not to choose. Like, it's, like we, we need to learn, as we've learned through our studies previously, we need to learn how to live with that hupomone. Remember that word? Hupomone. It means to bear up under. It's the Greek word that's translated persevere. It's often the way that we say don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hupomone. Don't forget that word. Hupomone. To bear up under the weight or the load of adversity. Because God wants to use you. And you're here for a purpose in this church family. What purpose that is, God's going to reveal to you. I've been around this city long enough now where I've seen churches come and go. I've seen churches grow and shrink. I've met with men that have had a strong burden to move to this city and say, man, God has called me here. I want to plant a church. I want to reach this city. And we're so excited as we share a meal together. And I say, yes, brother, go after it. Do what you need to do. Pray and serve the Lord. And then I've seen some of those same men that when times got tough and the church didn't end up the way they thought it would be, they, they thought this and it's God wanted to do this. They pick up, quit, move on, and the church disappears where there was a sign there and then it's gone. There was a group there and now it's gone. I've seen that in our own church family. I've seen people so strong and then I've seen them take off. I've seen divorces here, I've seen reconciliation. I've seen kids go sideways, I've seen kids come home. Diversion, distraction, and forgetting what God wants us to do. But I, we, you know, for me, I've been a blessed. I've been, as an adult believer, I've been a part of two churches the church that I was saved in, and this one. And I'm not saying at all that God wouldn't lead you to another fellowship, of course. Not, there, there's a variety of churches because there's a variety of people. Do you believe that there's a variety of people in this world? Just look around. There's a variety of people in this room. 
And the reason why there are many churches isn't for you to start shopping for one. The reason why there are a variety of churches is because there are a variety of people. And God is so gracious to us. There are some people that are more demonstrative, so there are demonstrative churches. There are some people that are more reserved, so there's more reserved churches. There are some people that have all, you know, God is so gracious to us to condescend. You know, in the early church, there was in one, in the city, there was how many churches? One. If you went to the church in Corinth, you went to the church in Corinth. If you went to, the, to Ephesus, you went to the church in Ephesus. There wasn't this thing of a thousand different churches. There was one. But God in his grace meets us where we're at. So we find just that place where God, he will use the congregation and the community of believers to disciple us and to grow us so that we might make a big difference. Not a small difference, but a big difference in this world before we leave it. And even before I moved here, God was beginning to speak to my heart about what kind of church I'd be a part of. If he would give me the privilege of pastoring a church, he began to speak to me. I would sit in a service just like this. The, the room was much larger in the church that I came from, but I would sit in a service just like this. And as my pastor would begin to share about the early days or something around the church, my heart would just, in my mind, I would just begin to say, Lord, if you ever want to do that again, I want to be a part of it. And I will take my little family wherever you call me, we will go wherever you want us to go. I would just want to see and be a part of and invest my life in watching if you ever want to do it again. And it wasn't even about the size of the church or, you know, Lord, if you want to do a big work again. I'll, it was just, God, I, real, I owe everything to you. I'm alive today because of you. I can only understand that pastor because of you. And because I've messed my life up so completely, now when I'm following you, I will do anything and go anywhere for you. And while I was processing that and just really wrestling, I mean, even long before I even told Marie about the desire to leave, God gave me this verse in John chapter 12, verse 21, that if ever I would be a part of a church family and pastor them, and shepherd them as an under-shepherd to Jesus, he gave me this verse. And it's actually right up here. It's covered by this beautiful chair, but it's all right up here on the pulpit. So every time you come in, part of it's right here. This is why we exist. This is the whole essence of why we're here. In John chapter 12, verse 21, it says, it says as they come to him, you know why I can't, you know why I don't see it right here? Because I'm in the wrong book of the Bible. You would think your pastor's smart enough to be in the right book of the Bible. John chapter 12, you're already there. They came to Philip, it says, and what do they say? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. That's it. Knowing Jesus and making him known, that, that's the summary of why we would gather together. It's not to push some theology, to push some thought, to make you so smart that you know all the Bible but you don't know Jesus. It's all about him. To know him and make him known. The best and most important part of your life, the most important part of our church life, is to have a personal, vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus, knowing his love, experience his grace, sharing his gospel. And when we moved to Colorado 18 and a half years ago, it's hard to believe it's been so long, our heart was to go into a city and preach the gospel to love people in Jesus' name. And we did that. We started passing out flyers in our neighborhood gathered a group together in our front room and of our home and began to love on them and teach them the Bible and just anticipate, God, what would you want to do? But before I moved here, there was another city we were headed to. We really felt like God wanted us in this city to the south. 
And I had a couple of brothers and their families, they were going to come and help plant the church with us. And, and we went down on a fact-finding mission, and I was so excited. I was, this is how I left. I'm going to do a great work for you, God. I'm here, my family, we're going to do a great work for you. And we were all in committed. That's the only way I do things, which got me in a lot of trouble in the world, but it's helped me a lot in my walk with the Lord. And so we're down and we're taking a second trip down there. I'm taking my wife in there. And some of you already know this, but for some of you, you need to know this. As we're driving into the city, the Holy Spirit spoke. And his voice sounded a lot like Marie. (laughs) As she looked to me and said, Ed, there is no way in the world I'm living in this city. And that began a series of events where God revealed to me the ugliness of my heart. Because if you would have asked me, I would have, I I was sincere, I loved Jesus, but my heart wasn't right. See, I wanted to do a great work for God and it was almost as if that trip, starting with the honesty of my wife, that trip God was saying, I don't need you, Ed. I don't need you in this city. I don't need you to do the work. I don't need you to do a great work for me. Go home. I don't need you to do a great, go home. Just go home. And that's what I did. And when I went home, it was a very discouraging time. I had already thought, this is what God wanted me to do. And now the door is closed. And, and man, I'm never, you know, what kind, of, what kind of horrible believer am I? And what pastor, whatever. I was just so wrestling with the reality of a closed door. But God finally settled in my heart. I was in the business world. I was very successful. And I had a very successful career ahead of me, I think. And God had just settled in my heart that I was going to work in the business world and make a lot of money and support the church and missions and teach a Sunday school class. And I was okay with that. No longer was I going to plant a church. God doesn't need me to do a great work for him. And I accept that. And I'm just going to serve him and be faithful. And wouldn't you know it, within a few months after God bringing me that conclusion, all these doors opened up and I moved here to Aurora. Like right, I mean, that fast, within just a few months. We didn't have the other families with us because this was kind of stumbling to them and, you know, looking to me to lead and then I can't lead and I can't even pick the right city and all of that. They didn't end up coming with us. However, we came here and I came here with my company. I I took a transfer. They knew I came to plant a church, but I came to to work and, and I fully expected to work for seven, eight, nine, ten years. I didn't know what God wanted to do, and, and in my mind, like, I was just thinking, maybe after seven or eight years, we'll have a group of about 100 people, maybe 150 people, and that's probably enough where I can leave my job and take a salary and just serve full time, but that wasn't what God had in store. You see, when I moved to Aurora, when I moved here to Colorado, when we finally picked up and moved, I didn't come here. We didn't move here with the thought of, I'm going to do a great work for God. God flipped that all around, and when we moved here, we came came with this heart. Hey, God, I want to be a part of the work that you're going to do. Because he knew about this church before I got here. He knew what he was going to do. He knew how it was all going to go down. He knew you'd be a part of it today. And all the thousands of people that have been a part of our church over the 18 years we've been, he knows all that. He knew the kids would grow up. He knew everything about us. He's just wanting us to align ourselves with his will. And so when we came here, it's like, man, I, I just, I want to be a part of whatever you do. And wouldn't you know it, that from when we moved here in July, and then we took the leadership of this church, because it was already going on before we got here, another pastor was leading it, we took the leadership of this church in November, started Sunday morning services on December 26th of 1999, which, by the way, is why this beautiful chair is up here, because these are the chairs that we used to use in Columbia Middle School, right behind us, 
catty corner from us, Columbia Middle School. These are the most sturdiest chairs. I think they're from the dinosaur age. I mean, they just don't break, they're here. And these are the chairs everybody sat in. They're, and if you walk around the building, you'll see they're in multicolor. We own these chairs, we didn't steal them, they gave them to us. We asked them, because when we were leaving the school, we asked the principal, hey, we'll buy you a chair for everyone because we wanna take them with us because we never wanna forget where we came from. Now, of course, many of you weren't there with us, so you don't have that frame of reference, but God discipled and grew us and taught us how to be a church in that school. And that's why there's still some of those things that are with us today that we learned in the school. And yet these are never, we, we, when, every time, when every time you see this, just remember on December 26, 1999, we had our first Sunday service. There was only 50 people there, give or take. Then the next week, there were 30 people there because I was learning how to grow the church downward. And it was up and it was down and God was doing a great work and here and there and taking different steps. And, and before you know it, July, November, December, by the time March came around of 2000, the church was rapidly growing and requiring so much of my time that I put in my resignation. And I was, I've been serving the congregation here full time uh, since March of 2000. That was God's work. And then all, you know, you kind of look back, you can see, you couldn't see that looking forward. That's like your life today. It's a word for the Lord for you right now. You can't see forward. You don't know what God has in store for you going forward, but you do know this, seeing his faithfulness, looking backward, you're going to be just fine. God's going to take good care of you. Why? Because you know, he's always taking good care of you. He's always been faithful. And we came here with this sense of God, whatever you want to do in our lives, and I remember, I couldn't find the picture, uh, and I wish I could have, but I'll post it on social media later today. Uh, for those of you with four hours on Facebook, I'll make sure you guys get to see it. You know, we're going to use technology for the glory of God. We just don't want to be on it for four hours, all right? Amen? Yes? Amen? Amen? So we are, we are in that calendar that you're going to take. It's going to have a Facebook counter in it, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Let's come back. When we moved here in, uh, 2000, or in 1999, it was just the five of us. It was five of us, me and Marie, um, our oldest son, Eddie, uh, our son, Joshua, my daughter, Caitlin, who was still in diapers. And, and we have a picture of the, one of the first trips we took as a family. Somebody took us out to Georgetown to see the leaves turn. And it was just, we were just so overwhelmed. Then new place and gorgeous and beautiful. And, and that little family um, were committed to serve this congregation and serve this church in every area. They've all been a vital part of what God is doing through the church. It was a family affair. It's always a family affair in ministry, that God is wanting to do a work in our families. As a matter of fact, it's so important that the Bible says when Paul tells Timothy to find leaders in the church, one of the elements that he says is to find a man who rules his own house well. Not perfect, but well. And I'll elaborate that on a moment in a different part of the message. But, you know, we didn't know what, we would, what would happen here. We didn't know that there would be great pain awaiting us here. We didn't know that we would lose our oldest son uh, four years ago and all the drama that surrounds that loss. We didn't know all the difficulties of people coming and going. We didn't know of all the trials and trauma that we would face. We didn't know how hard it would be to pastor. We didn't know, you know, you might walk into a church like this and you go, oh, see, large church, big church, and, you know, it's not like the little church. And they, like, I don't see the church that way. That's not how I view the church. That's not how God views church. He doesn't, you think, do you think this is a big church compared to heaven? This is just a small part of what God's doing. And, and he doesn't think of big churches, small churches. He just loves you, just you. He's like, well, you're a big church, you should do this. Or you're a small church, you should do this. Man, we're just a church. 
And if God wants to grow our church, then we'll go on for the ride. If he wants to shrink our church, we'll go on for the ride. We just want what God wants. We want to make room for what God wants. This church isn't a business. We don't have a business plan. We're not trying to grow the church and build the church. and try. We're just trying to keep up with what God's telling us to do. And so sometimes you'll wonder, what's the plan? What's the five-year plan? I have no idea. Well, you're the pastor. Shouldn't you know? No. Jesus is the pastor, and he'll tell us day by day. I want to know. I ask the same question. What's the five-year plan? I don't know. I have no idea. And even if I did, and we start working the plan, how will you work the plan and miss the will of God? I don't want that in my life. I've messed up things too much. I don't want to mess anything else up. We want to know Jesus and make him known. And I appreciate this fellowship family and all the people that have been a part of it through the years, all the people that have served here and had their time here and, and find out that their time here was just a couple years and then they moved on or find out that their time was here was just short, you know, it's with Buckley and people coming in from out of town and, and sometimes there's difficulties and people leave for difficulties, but then they go out and do something great for the Lord and it's all good. This is our church. And what I mean by that is this is where my family grew up. This is where we went through the highs and lows. That this isn't a business. We're not trying to do things in order to gain a name for ourselves. We just want to be faithful to the simple things that God has given us. And for those of you that know this already, it's for review. But let me give you the vision of our church. The vision of our church. It's three words. Really, it's actually one word. And you could say it this way. The vision of our church is evangelism. A heart to reach the lost. That's why we're here. What other purpose would the church be than to reach the lost? Now, of course, I have a role as a pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but what's the work of the ministry? To reach the lost. That's it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to heal the sick. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to bring about healing and wholeness, restoration, reconciliation. So as a pastor equipping you for the work of the ministry, it's the ministry is to encourage you to live out your life to reach the lost. Now, of course, you don't reach the lost. I don't reach the lost. God uses us so he might reach the lost. And out of that, there's three words that you should always remember. Win, disciple, and send. Win, disciple, and send. Number one, we're, we're here to win a person to Jesus Christ. Don't think of that as a, a word of competition, like we're going to win more than the church down the street or anything like that. The Bible says that the one that wins souls is wise. And so we want to win people's hearts over to the Lord. We're not in competition with any church in town. Man, God, give us a hundred more churches in town. Do you think we could reach the whole city by ourselves? We can't. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We're going to be faithful to what we call, but we're not in competition. If, if I hear of some church in town growing like crazy as they preach the gospel, you know what I feel? I feel happy and excited that God's doing things in our city. When I hear about a new church plant that's come, that there's some family like mine 18 years ago that said, we're laying it all on the line and we're going to come here to serve. Great, come, welcome. God over the years has developed things in me that I didn't even know were in me. And one of them is, is I have a specific heart for pastors and for churches to encourage them, to come alongside of them, to remind them of the calling of God, to help them, to grow in, to support them financially and help buy things for them. You know, so much happens through the life of your church that helps missionaries and church planters and struggling pastors. 
It's all between the church and the Lord. You know, it's just, man, so many things happen because of your faithfulness of giving and tithes and offerings. Every single second of the day, Bible study and worship music being played over the airwaves that are encouraging people and encouraging pastors and encouraging churches and equipping people because of your faithfulness. And on and on the list could go. But see, we have to remember that the purpose that we're on the earth is to reach the lost, to, to be faithful, to surrender our lives to him so we might experience him doing exceedingly abundantly above all that, he, that we could think or ask. Imagine that. Whatever you ask for, God can do more. Whatever you're thinking right now, God will do more. All the big dreams and plans you have for your life and for your family, God can do more if you will surrender them to him. He's able and he's waiting and he's able, he's ready. He wants to work in our lives. Win a person to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Secondly, disciple a person in Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're to disciple people in Jesus. We're not to make disciples of ourselves, but we're to point people to Jesus, which can be very frustrating for you. Some of you, it's very frustrating that a pastor points you to Jesus or that, that you might email me and go, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I need to meet with you right away. And you know, your email is probably one of another 20 or 25, but somebody says, I have to meet with you, I have to meet with you, I have to meet with you. And my response to you is, I'm sorry, but I can't. And then the response usually is, well, I know you're so busy. No, no, I'm not busy. I'm just faithful doing what God wants me to do. And so what has God done? He's surrounded me with 11 other pastors and hundreds of other lay leaders in our church that when they serve you, the Lord is serving you. That you, you, you can't learn to follow Ed. You can't learn to follow Ed because Ed's not your savior. He didn't lay down his life for you. He's just a man like you serving in the, the calling that God has given him. You have to learn how to follow Jesus. And if you're listening and learning from any pastor, any leader that wants you to, to exclusively follow him and only follow him and become a disciple of him, get another pastor. We are disciple you in Jesus Christ. And maybe it frustrates you. Maybe it frustrates you, but that, through that frustration, God's going to reveal himself. No, 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 son, daughter, I love you. I gave my life for you. I sent my son, gave his life for you so that you might follow me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have a role. It doesn't mean that I can't do, I, I don't do hospital visits. I do. It doesn't mean I don't do, but I can't do everything myself. So what has God done? He's raised up people to serve. And you too, you too, God has raised you up to serve in this church family, in this community. You have ready access to your neighbor. You have ready access to your boss. Access that I would never have. Sometimes I get a call and say, Ed, Ed, if you would just talk to my boss, I know they would believe. No, they won't. But you know, it's an amazing thing when an employee talks to their boss <laughs> and just begins to love on them because you already have a relationship. You imagine God put you in that house where you're at for a purpose, that condo for a purpose, that workplace for a purpose. Not for you. It's not just a place to make money. It's a place to make disciples. And he spread us out into the whole world. And then finally, we're to send a person for Jesus Christ. When disciples sin, Acts chapter one, verse eight. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, home base. You come in to go out. In just a few minutes, you're gonna leave. You know, pick up your kids, some of you. You're gonna get in your car and you're gonna leave. And you're gonna be spread out throughout the whole city. Why? Because God has sent you out. You didn't come in here just to do your religious duties before God, 
to pay your offerings and put a few coins in the box and, and mark off the checkbox, I went to church. No, you came in to be equipped and discipled to leave. You came to leave. Just like Jesus was born to die, you came to leave with what? Well, you came to leave with being more encouraged, more uplifted, for God to go deep in your heart, work in you, disciple you, and you come to be strengthened and equipped so that when you're out in the world, in the life that you live, raising your kids, serving, working, wherever you have, having lunch today, do you think that God doesn't, doesn't love the waitress that you're going to meet in about an hour? He does. And he gave you that table so that you might have a conversation and an appreciation of someone serving you, so that everything becomes a discipleship moment. You come in to go out, and it starts in Jerusalem. So as a church, our Jerusalem's Aurora, in a very rural Denver metro area. Because uh, Denver metro area, it's, Denver is not a big city. I just want you to know that. It's not a big city. It is a big city, and I understand that, because I hear people complaining about the traffic. Oh, the traffic, oh, the traffic. Come with me to In-N-Out in Southern California, and let's get on the 91 at one o'clock in the afternoon. And a trip that should take five minutes takes an hour and a half. Let's just see, you know, and compare the whole metro area. The whole metro area is less than half the population of Los Angeles proper. So I get, I understand it's a large city, but it's not that large. And this is our home. We need to be faithful here. Just like I said, you know, for, for, for corporately as a church, our home is here, but also you guys at home. Men, you must be the husbands. You must be the husbands that God's called you to. You must be the dads that God has called you. You must be the employee that God has called you. You must be, especially if you're going to serve in the church, you've got to rule your own house well. Otherwise, you're going to lose everything. And again, I'm not, and I'm not telling you to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. My home's not perfect. My leadership's not perfect. But I love God, and I love my family, and the trajectory of our family is unto the Lord. We may not always hit the mark all the time, but that's where we're headed, and that's where we're going. You gotta be faithful at home. Some of you are so frustrated, why, why can't I do this, and why can't I do that? And only you know, I don't live with you, but only you know what's going on in your home. I don't live with you. Between you and the Lord, God's able to turn things around with your, with your wife, guys, with your husbands, gals, with your kids. I know sometimes kids go sideways, but they come home. That's why Jesus gave us the prodigal son as a story. They come home. We need to raise our kids in the ways that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it and hold on to that promise. And even if we have made mistakes in the past, we're to start today. It's never too late. Start today. Do what's right today, and allow the Lord to redeem and reconcile those things that are outside of our control. But then he says Judea is Samaria, so then we've got to reach out. God didn't just start a church on the corner of Hampton to Biscay to take a little chart of our neighborhood and say, well, we're going to reach our neighborhood. We're going to hit this door and hit this door. No, he says home and then the broader sense. So that's the metro area. It's all of Colorado. It's all the United States where we have a responsibility to go out. So when you go on vacation, you're not on vacation. When you head out, you're not. You're heading out with the gospel. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And so what do we have? One of the things that we have as a mandate is to see this radio station that God has entrusted to us to continue to expand and continue to reach out and to be faithful and to send out church planters so that they're planting churches in the community. And then finally, he says, to the ends of the earth. That, that our responsibility as a church is to send out missionaries, world missionaries, away from Aurora, Colorado to another land, to another place, 
not just church planters in the United States, but church planters in the mission field or various missionary endeavors where we're taking the gospel to the lost and we're taking the gospel to the people that need to hear and we're taking the gospel constantly, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hard it seems, no matter how resistant it is, no matter what difficulties we face, we're gonna persevere, we're gonna share the gospel, we're gonna love people in Jesus' name because Jesus said the law is summed up this way. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. No religion in the world can duplicate what God can do in you. None, zero. Religion will just waste your time of trying to accomplish the work of God in your own strength to find out that God's strength was there all along. Surrender to him. Surrender. That's the essence of our church. It always has been and it is today. It's not enough just to settle in our own little town, in our own little corner church that reaches, you know, the surrounding homes in our neighborhood, but we have to have a world vision. In the time that we have left, we have to have a world vision knowing that each step of the way, God is using us collectively. Not all of us are called to world missions, but everyone's called to Jerusalem, and everyone's called to Judea, Samaria, and everyone's called to the ends of the earth in the context of how God wants to use you, whether you give to a missionary, take a short-term mission trip, who knows, you pray. You know, from, can you, have you ever thought that from your own little front room, in your prayer life, you can reach the world? In an instant, you can affect the world immediately. And now with technology, it's just amazing what God can do. Now, before we leave, let me give you a couple things and a couple thoughts because we're out of time already. But I want to give you a couple pictures that you can meditate on this week and just kind of look forward to 2018. See, God doesn't do this usually with me. Uh, I know some of you, he does it with you every year. And the idea that at the beginning of the year, God gives you a word, you know, and that's kind of your word for the year or your scripture for the year. Uh, God doesn't usually do that with me, but this year he did. He gave me both a word and a scripture. Uh, and the word is change. I'm not entirely sure what that means and what that looks like in its entirety, but that's the word he gave me. And he gave me the scripture. He gave it to me three times in one day, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to what's up ahead. And the end of that verse speaks of um, pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and I don't know what God's going to do in you, but I know that as God gives your pastor a word, it's going to have some effect in the church for sure. I don't know what that looks like in its entirety, but I'm anticipating and very excited to find out. And as we, as we are open to change and as we're ready for change and reaching the lost, I mean, it's more change than just church. You know, like change of, oh, you know, what the carpet looks like or chairs or all the stuff that really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Think about it. Think the thing you're all uptight about. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Did I say that already? It just doesn't matter. What a waste of time. You know what matters? Two things matter to the heart of God. Two things are eternal. This is what matters. The souls of men, and the word of God. You invest your life in that, you'll have no regrets. You invest your life in people, Getting the word of God into them, no regrets. So, okay, five minutes. Give me five minutes. I want to go through this quick. It's 10 minutes worth of stuff. Five minutes, you ready? Number one, I see the church as a hospital. A hospital. A place where the hurting and the sick, those racked with pain, fears, and hopelessness can come and be healed and nurtured back to health. We're to be a refuge 
We're to be a place of shelter, a place of restoration. We're to be a place where nobody's taken advantage of and nobody is hurt. We're to be a place where the leaders love the flock and serve wholeheartedly, sacrificially. We're to be a place where sick people can come and hear the gospel. Sick people, sick people. You know how we refer to that in the world? Sin sick people. So what that means is you, if you're going to be a part of this church, you've got to understand you're sitting next to sick people. You're, you're going to probably smell alcohol on someone. Someone's going to smell like they just sm- smoked five joints and they're going to smell like pot. You're going to see someone that may not appear to be what you think they should appear or where they came. You're going to sit around sick people. Why? Because Jesus said he didn't come for those that are well, but for the sick. Aren't you glad he came for you? What, were you so good and so beautiful and so wonderful that God saw you and said, oh, I want to save you? Man, and I have to, I have to remind you to, to stand here today in my own life. Like, I have to be a reminder to you every single week that if God can save a knucklehead like me and use him, then he can surely save a wonderful person like you. I'm not calling you a knucklehead. You can call yourself a wonderful person like you. But listen, the church has to be filled with sick people. They asked to. Jesus came to heal the sick, not those that have no need. Secondly, the church I see is a restaurant. A restaurant. Yeah, a restaurant. A a place where believers and non-believers alike can come for a well-prepared meal and feast in the word of God. The greatest plague on the church of Jesus Christ today, the larger church at large, the greatest, most difficult worst decision that leaders are making is to exchange the word of God for anything else. It, it doesn't matter what they exchange it for. It doesn't matter if it's, they go to the business model. You know, you can, you can create a church with a tr- business model, but then it's just running a business. And you can create a church by some best-selling book, but then you're just pointing someone to an author. You have to go through the Bible, the whole Bible. You have to go through it all, word by word, the good stuff and the bad stuff, because the whole Bible going through you, as you go through the whole Bible, the whole Bible is going to go through you. Listen, listen, listen. I see myself as a person that has to prepare a good meal for you, which is one of the reasons why I can't do everything. I can't go to every gathering. I can't go to every hospital visit. I can't. That's why God's raised up people to help. I can't do all that. Why? Because this is my calling, to pray and study the word of God. That's what I have to do. Because if I don't do that, then the whole church suffers. Just like the early apostles, when they were going through the difficulties, said, we're not going to leave prayer and the word of God to serve tables. We have to serve. We have to pray and study the word of God. And so I, I spent ample amount of hours every week to put a message together to take the word of God and explain it with the gift of pastor teacher so your life might be changed and God's glory might go forward in our city and 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 so what I see that as a restaurant you go back to the same restaurant because you like the food and no no doubt if you have a favorite restaurant you probably have a favorite dish there and you like the atmosphere and so as a church family I want to be able to provide you a meal every week through the word, verse by verse. And, and you know, for you meat lovers, then I'm just gonna put together your favorite steak, just cook the way you want it. Now for you vegans, I have no idea what you eat instead of steak. <laughs> so whatever that is, nobody even emailed me to say, uh, I thought last night for sure I'd get emails, this is what vegans, I, I don't know what you eat, but I'm cool with it, whatever you wanna do, you know, take care of your body. If you like a bean casserole, whatever it is, great. Great, I, I don't even know how it goes. It doesn't matter to me what it is, except that you would receive it, internalize it, and then you get your favorite dish, and always you have to be, has, sometimes there's a side of Brussels sprouts on the side, right? Brussels sprouts are nasty and disgusting. 
they're, if you think about it, they're mutant cabbages. Like something happened and like radiation got into them or something happened to them. They never grew up. And they're just nasty. And I don't care how much butter you put on them. They're still Brussels sprouts, all right? Boil them, bake them, butter them. I don't care. But there are times in the Bible where you're just eating, 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 and you go, oh, Ed, that guy, that, that wasn't nice what he said. That hurt. Why is he talking about sin? Who is he to judge me in my lifestyle or whatever it might be? But it's not me. It's me delivering a meal so you might receive it and change your life according to what God says and not according to what you say. Thirdly, I think the church should be a gymnasium, a gym. Some of you have gym memberships. You go there to what? To work out. And so the church is a place where you can work out. You can discover and exercise your spiritual gifts. You can use them. You can serve the body of Christ so that when you leave, you're more effective when you leave. And you can come and be prepared and then discover and then build one another up and, and be there for each other at the gym. And even more so, a gym with family relationships where you're working out with family. This is a family. And not only that, but I see the church as a launching pad where from this place, this is where believers are equipped and prepared, but then sent out into the world weekly daily, moment by moment, to accomplish the will of God by abiding in him through humility, sacrifice, and servanthood. That's what we have for you. If you came here with a checklist, let me tell you something. We have nothing but Jesus Christ in his humility and his sacrifice and his servanthood. And we're not trying to impress you. We're not trying to make this place and adapt this place so you might be happy. It's not like we're trying to upset you. It's nothing like that. We just want to be in an environment the best that we can so that you live your life serving Jesus Christ. Not looking to man, not looking to a church, not looking to a movement, but just following him. Because here's the thing. It's never too late to live for something. And it's never too late to live for someone. It's never too late. And that's our message. That'll be my message until I die. Jesus died and rose again. And he is worthy of your wholehearted, undivided, exclusive attention, devotion, and obedience. And may we live it, may we speak it, and may we see all that God has for us in this coming year, winning, discipling, sending, submitting ourselves to the Lord. Amen? So Father, we are grateful for your word, and and, uh, I know I took a little extra time, and so I just thank you so much for those that are teaching the kids tonight, uh, or today I should say, and they're just so patient, and um, I'm a little fired up and passionate, Lord, because we, we have to submit ourselves to you. Why, why should we gather together if not? We must surrender ourselves to you. So forgive us for our lack. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for our attitudes and our checklists and our what have you done for me, God, and pour into us the heart. What can we do? What are we supposed to do for you, God? In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.